Are you ready for operational excellence? Welcome to the Visual Workplace, work that makes sense, where your host and visual workplace expert, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, shares powerful visual principles and practices to optimize your operations and make them safer, faster, better, and far less costly. The Visual Workplace. You can't get to excellence without it. Now, here's Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. Welcome. Welcome and hello. This is Visual Workplace Radio, and I am Gwendolyn Galsworth, your host on this, our weekly radio show about letting the workplace speak. And you know, in each of our shows, we explore, we describe, we celebrate the principles and practices, concepts and tools, methods and strategies, and the people and the companies of workplace visuality, companies that are implementing workplace visuality, companies that are actively involved in deploying the technologies of the visual workplace in order to help those companies speak. And those machines speak, and the floors speak, and the walls, and the benches, and if it's healthcare center, then the patients and the patients' beds, and the patients speak even when they're sleeping through visuality. So many wonderful, wonderful applications for this, our language of operations that are made visual, that is made visual through visual devices, that is made physical through visual devices, a workplace that speaks. So welcome. Everybody participates. Everybody's got a voice on all levels of the enterprise. Everybody, not just your boss or your boss's boss or the people who report to you, but you, you too. So drop us an email if you want more information about uh, our shows, about our coming shows, if you want to suggest a topic for a show. Write to us at radio at visualworkplace.com. That email is dedicated to you. Send us your comments, your stories, your pictures. If you think you've got a great company and you want us to interview you, we will certainly consider it. And you can reach us at visualworkplace.com. That's our website. If you want to get to know our products more, what I'm doing, my calendar, if I'm going to be in a town near you sometime soon, so you can stop by and learn more about Visual Workplace. I have a very active travel schedule because I have an active visual conversion schedule, helping companies convert to visuality as a strategic initiative. Usually, best before lean happens because it prepares, visuality prepares the environment for change. Visuality creates its own transformation. It's cultural. It also has significant bottom line impact. We often, we always see a 15% increase in productivity, and that's including in lean uh, JIT shops where the critical path has been identified. We can amplify and extend those benefits and, of course, make them all sustainable. Visuality is the great adherence intervention. That is what visuality is about. It is about the operational details of your system, however advanced or however traditional you are, whatever level of excellence you're currently on, that gets captured physically through visual devices and becomes your platform of growth, your next step, your building block. 
So welcome, welcome. Visualworkplace.com. We are in the midst, actually we're kind of coming towards the um, landing of my series on visual leadership. The first part of the series was about executive leadership and the tools, the visual tools of executive leadership. If you remember, we did the Operation Systems Improvement Template, the house, followed by the X-Type Matrix, and pulling up the rear, probably the very last show, uh, we'll put those pieces all together along with the second piece, which is the supervisory piece. So we have executive leadership, those folks who identify, articulate, define the corporate intent, and those folks, supervisors and managers, who operationalize it, who are responsible for um, implementing it, making sure it happens. Okay, those two, the wonderful, wonderful partnership between these two very formidable branches of your company, be it healthcare, a military depot, a factory, utilities, a college, a university, any kind of administrative offices and agencies where work happens, visuality has a very powerful role to play in making sure your performance is impeccable and um, lots of fun. So we're in this series, and we're actually doing the second show on visual displays. That's a tool for managers and supervisors. I summarize them as, in a single word, supervisors. That is the tool, the preeminent tool, for helping supervisors do their job and do it well. And I I want to make just a few introductory remarks that bring you back to some of the discussion we already have. In leadership, we are in what is called doorway four of my 10-doorway model. And you can see that summarized on my website, visualworkplace.com. And also, it is the entire topic of my book, Visual Workplace, Visual Thinking, which you can get through our website or on Amazon. It is the model. It is how do you get the entire workforce contributing its voice, its language to your operational system. Doorway four is for the executive and for those who report to him or her. In moving to the supervisory section of this, we are also incorporating doorway three, which is about visual displays and visual scheduling. Just so in case you're following the model, that's how it fits in. Okay? And one of the things that we did at the beginning of this series, that was several months ago, is we identified the new identity for each of those two classifications of leaders, the executive leader and what that array is, of identity of behaviors, executive behaviors, and we did it for supervisors as well. Again, as a recall, we shifted on the executive level from demand and control to an anchor element called lead. That's what we did for the executive. And on the supervisory management level, we shifted from manage, which is to attend to logistics and schedule and monitor everything, to an anchor descriptive behavior called improve. For the executive, moving from demand and control to lead, the array of other behaviors, and there's seven in all, beginning with lead, is lead, 
broken down to, divided into these six. Decide, align, inspire, drive, verify, grow. That is a leader of improvement on the executive level. And on the supervisory level, substituting improve for that catch-all manage everything, (laughs) the six behaviors are stabilize, measure, target, problem-solving, I beg your pardon, problem-solve, coach, and model. So those are the kind of arrays of behavior, and we ask ourselves, what are the visual tools that allow supervisors to learn these behaviors and actualize them in the workplace so that they become the habits of the daily work? How do we shift the identity? Visual displays, our topic, second time we're talking about it now, last week and this week, last show and this show. Visual displays are magnificent in this regard. There are many exceptions to what I'm about to say, but in general, visual displays start from a supervisor's own personal need to know. That is, line supervisors, for example, managers, they struggle to keep track of literally dozens of data points that constantly change. And these, in turn, trigger dozens of micro-decisions and macro-decisions that need to be made, but sometimes aren't. And this is during the course of a single shift. Time to alert an upstream customer that the unit will arrive later than previously thought or earlier. Time to perform an unscheduled changeover in manufacturing in order to compensate for that. Now we got to shift three assemblers over to the downstream operation where a bottleneck is beginning to form. And oh gosh, the second shift cell leader is not going to make it in. His stomach has flared up again. Time to do something about that. All of this. Supervisors are supposed to know everything and yet they cannot. They are defeated before they begin. And likewise, managers are supposed to know everything, and what they don't know, they turn to the supervisors to supply. And this is especially true in a traditional manufacturing setting. The truth, what's really happening right now, is one of the most elusive elements of the work environment. Look as you might. You simply can't find it. You may see it across, moving across the distant horizon. But as you move towards it, it changes and disappears, goes in another direction, goes over the hill. <laughs> you know, lots of people will ask, well, how come we can't just use computers instead of displays? Aren't, aren't displays redundant? No. Visual displays are not redundant. In a world governed by computers, the reverse is true. Displays are often the only means by which we can, in real time, find and and display data from multiple sources. That's including but not limited to the computer and predict their precise, discrete, if you will, impact on operations. In this regard and especially for companies in transition going from traditional to the new manufacturing or the new excellence if you're healthcare. Displays are powerful and unsurpassed, unsurpassed in their usefulness. 
Today, I want to walk you through a kind of step-by-step. It will be more um, more of a, a satellite of considerations. But before I begin that, I want to do two things. The first one is to say to you, in shifting the behavior of the supervisor, we must first shift their identity, the identity that I was talking about before, so that supervisors and managers are actually focused on different components of work that are now almost invisible to their attention. And you do this by calling attention to it through the displays. They'll be focusing on considerations that are on a higher level, what I call a higher order of magnitude. Displays play an incredibly critical role in shifting supervisors and managers to a new leadership model. Because when we use displays, displays hold information and relieve supervisors and managers of having to know and hold that information. The display holds the information. And there is margin for the supervisor to be at ease in, to relax in, to rest in. And as we have sometimes discussed, the only way that you can get new behaviors is by relieving the burden of the old behaviors, the stress, the noise of having just too much to handle, having no relief. That margin is indispensable to growth, the margin to rest in, a little bit of space, a little bit of breathers. Without displays, the current approach is either very, very, very slow and undependable or can't happen at all. The current process for sharing information I speak of this pretty much categorically from my own experience and from watching supervisors and managers struggle, especially if the workplace itself is unstable or going through a massive change that is creating additional instability. Maybe it's growing and growing too fast. Or maybe it simply has hit a bump around quality and there's a lot of commotion, a lot of stress, a lot of effort to correct that, and usually not systematically. So displays have a ton of benefits, but this ability to create margin for supervisors and managers to rest and grow in is unique. It is as important for managers and displays as the visual wear is for operators in this regard. Once an operator has a reliable access to the visual wear, and that is only because the operator has made it so that the operators have implemented the visual wear, can the operator relax and look at higher orders of consideration in their job. That's the rest point for the operator. For supervisors and managers, it's the display. The display captures the supervisor's need to know. 
and you know they need to know everything. (laughs) The display for the first cycle captures the supervisor's pain. What is eating his lunch? What is eating her lunch? It is captured, it is put on the board, and we watch it behave, and we begin to relieve that. So I want to kind of set this up before I kind of walk you through the um, the building of a display. But I want to begin, before I begin that part, I want to share with you one of the greatest displays of all time. It was created by a gentleman named Charles Joseph Menard, and some of you know of him. And it was his map of the disastrous defeat of Napoleon when he marched on Moscow. This is very, very famous. Go on to Google, and you will find Menard's map, or you can do Napoleon Menard, and you'll see this elongated uh, kind of jagged pathway. And Menard came upon it because he was really against the war. And and, and we will send it to you if you want. I'll I'll send you the article that uh, I wrote on it. If you just drop us a note at radio at visualworkplace.com, we'll just put it in as an attachment and you can have the detail and contemplate this. You've heard me say quite often that 50% of our brain function is dedicated to finding and interpreting visual data. We are sight dominant. This is not whimsy. This is not speculation. This is a fact. The I, and in this case we spell it E-Y-E, rules. And though we utilize our other senses quite naturally, sound, taste, smell, touch, visuality rules. We're sight dominant. And visual information sharing has a long and dramatic role in history. And and I want to take as an example this depiction that Charles Joseph Menard created that has almost no words on it, but the visual impact makes the statement. The depiction is a graft that Menard, he's a, he was a civil engineer in 19th century France that was... Um, about 60 years, 60, 70 years after um, Napoleon's defeat, catastrophic march on Moscow. So during that march, when Napoleon decided he was going to uh, take over Moscow, (laughs) and the Russians just left his so-called Russian campaign of 1812, he, in fact, lost 410,000 soldiers during that period. He didn't just lose that campaign. He decimated his own army. And very, very few of that 400,000 number was decimated through the direct efforts of the Russian army. So Menard uh, made up this graft and it was published about 60, 70 years later. Actually, it was in the 1860s, so about 50 years later. And it was only then that the full impact of Napoleon's defeat was grasped. Our eye understands more than we can explain. And our eye is connected directly to our emotions. And we got it. 
a thousand different connecting points and comparisons were made instantly and we got it. So when we see Napoleon's army, what Menard did is have us track the army, which was pretty much at full size. There were a few additions. When it crossed into Russia in the middle of the summer, June 14th, 1812, there were 422,000 soldiers, and they marched towards Moscow, which was a big prize that Napoleon wanted for himself. And as you watch it, you'll see that this wide band begins to narrow And each millimeter of decrease is equivalent to the loss of 10,000 men. And as Napoleon marched further and further into the Russian motherland, he lost a number of troops in skirmishes, but thousands upon thousands he lost to the swiftly arriving, early arriving Russian winter. And to Russia's scorched earth tactic, so that as the Russians retreated, they destroyed all the villages, all the crops, all the livestock, and they left nothing to the invading army, no shelter, no food. This, of course, is the same tactic that would later defeat Hitler more than, well, more than a century later in almost identical circumstances when he decided, oh, let's take Moscow. Napoleon couldn't do it, but... I'm Hitler, I can do it. When Napoleon finally entered Moscow in September, so that was two and a half months, he found Moscow deserted and burning. And after a month of being there, thinking that the Russian army was going to abdicate to him in the capital, he started heading home again. And the Russian army simply avoided him. Winter fell in all its frozen whiteness, and Napoleon was in full retreat with less than, at that time, 27,000 troops of the original 422,000. And when they were back, heading back in France, to France, the remainder, less than 10,000 soldiers, crossed out of Russia and entered several weeks later into Paris. He never, Napoleon never fully recovered from that defeat. And then two years later, he was finally defeated in Waterloo. And all of this is captured in this display. It is not quite the kind of application we're talking about now, but to my point, displays are powerful they bring the power of visuality, and in this case, the incredible toll of, of war, into our understanding at a glance. And you can do that as well. And I want to give you some pointers to, to consider as you go into displays. The very first display that I encountered in my career that came out of my work was in Trailmobile, and this was somewhere around, oh, 1995. And it was a display that was created by operators. I had been teaching that group about operator-led visuality 
And they were doing it beautifully, the visual wear, and they began to own it, and they began to grow and to think and to contribute. And one day, I was just walking through. We had done our training, and I was walking on the floor, and I saw this big piece of cardboard that had cover, that was covered with strips of masking tape going horizontally, a big piece of packing cardboard. Of course, I was drawn to it, and I said, hey, guy, and there was something written on it. And and I went up to the 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 operators. I said, hey, what's that? That that looks pretty cool, but I don't quite get it. And they said, well, that's our production schedule. Now we don't have to run after David and ask him what we're going to do next. We got that piece of paper from him today, and we just put it up here on masking tape on this cardboard. Just each line is another product we have to do. And then when we've done it, we just pull the tape off and it's room, there's room for something else. I was staggered because I certainly knew about production control boards and I was beginning to kind of organize my thinking into a learning pathway, into a methodology. And in fact, about two months later, I trained the supervisors at Trailmobile in Canada in visual displays and they did a bang up job. But I was so struck, so moved, so deeply moved by the hunger of the operators for information that they simply moved into displays as the next logical way to treat this information that was neither the visual wear nor was it about quality. It was There was nothing embedded about it. They just needed the flat information and they used a flat surface and they used these flat pieces of masking tape to capture that. That was their need to know. And automatically, it was also it turned into not a need to share, but a condition of sharing. They were attacking the motion of asking questions. They were attacking the motion of wondering and wandering and trying to find their supervisor and waiting for information. And then their supervisors got on board and did a bang-up job. So when you do a visual display, I have, as I told you last time, I have always found it productive to let the supervisors decide what they want to capture in the display because I know that in visuality, the need leads. It's emotional. I need to know, and you remember I mentioned this already with Hank, I need to know where my pliers are. And don't you talk to me about higher goals until I know where my pliers are. Well, it's the same way with supervisors. I know that you want me to be responsible for this production and for the schedule. But unless I get this handled, I can't do it, boss. I need to know where those materials are. I need to know... I need to know where those quality defects are. I need to know where my two operators are. They were here a few moments ago. I need to know where the die are for the next changeover, et cetera, et cetera. That's what I need to know. And then I'll be able to help you with your goals. But up until then, sir, I am going to have to be selfish because I need to know these things. And I'm all a commotion inside because I don't know them. And I don't see any reason why I shouldn't know them. 
when you begin there. It's called the supervisor's pain. It's called what's eating your lunch. And you let them begin there. Name a condition that's eating your lunch. Name something that's really important to you that you don't know, but you need to know in order to do your work. Write it down here. Sketch it out. I don't need to see it. And describe it in as many words as you wish to convince you that it's real and it's worthy and that it really is eating your lunch. You can just write notes to yourself. Now, try try to isolate in fewer words what exactly you need to know. And identify as well where you're going to get it. Can, do you have easy access? Can you retrieve that information yourself? Can you get it posted on a board that's just for you? Can you do that yourself? Sort that out now. And if you want to work with a partner, you can, but no more than one. If you want a third partner to work on your board, you're going to have to ask me and I'm going to have to see it. Because I don't want this feeling in you to be diluted or set aside. I don't want anyone to talk you out of it. Because you know what? You're going to have to use this board and populate it yourself. You can find a helper on the second and third shift, but you own the board. And they are your assistants because you're simply home sleeping or doing, you're not on site. But I want you to do the first board yourself. And you let your supervisors and managers do this board, their boards themselves, because that will not only give them the pathway to get answers, even if they're not complete answers yet, answers to their need to know, but they'll also understand the mechanics of the board and be much, much more thoughtful when you go through the second cycle. The second cycle is more about the schedule. I haven't found it to be ever about anything else, even in hospitals. It is about when things happen and what are the barriers to making it happen, to getting it to happen, to being on schedule, whatever the schedule is. It creates transparency in the informational landscape that most preoccupies the supervisor. I do not, I'm not a fan of the whiteboards with the lines going across where you keep tra- you just keep track of things. You can do it. And you can begin there if you can't get a better training, begin there. But then, as I'll mention in a moment, you've got to add dimensions of meaning. You just, you must. By dimensions of meaning, I mean you must fill out the rest of the picture on that whiteboard. So, yeah, begin with a whiteboard and black lines and say, what are we making? What are we making next? What are we supposed to make after that? What's the status? You can do that. I urge you to do this physically and not through a digital monitor because you want to be able to change it as you receive that information and understand that there are different, more um, robust ways of capturing that information so it really works for you. So begin with those flat boards as long as you know that they are beginning, and do not mistake a display for simply a list. For example, here are the nine different types of labels that we use on this line to differentiate our customers. Here we've got it on a flat board, on a little um, tripod so you can see it, 
Ultramax labels color code chart. This is the way it works. That's information made large, and it's useful, but it's not a display. A display is interactive, and it is about information that changes over the course of time, over the course of a shift, a day. And you need to know about those changes. So there are many factors impinging upon that timeline, and you need to begin to identify what they are. Nor is a display simply a large report. How many welded feet? How many good feet? How many bad feet? That's simply a report. One of the ways for you to know it's not a display is you can't find the supervisor in it. You can't find the I. In this case, we talk about the I as the pronoun I, the individual I as an I-driven. You can't find the voice. You can't find the need. You can't find the emotional charge. You can't find that I need to know. So those other large art formats are useful, but they're not displays, nor is a team board. It's very popular now to have a team board with lots of post-its or cards on it to show the tracking of, for example, projects. This is very important so that the team can keep track and be responsible to itself, processing ideas. Focus on a purpose. I'm thinking of a very good visual team board from a submarine design team in Melbourne. And they put together a completely beautiful board. And as the projects moved across the board, they were at 25%. These were vertical columns, 25, 50, 75, 100% with various notes. And the color coding had to do with who was the lead. And you could see the progress. That's great, but that's not a visual display. A visual display is interactive, and it co-locates multi-levels of information into a single place, a single format, and it lets those interact with each other in real time and lets that change in real time as those pieces interact with each other. If your display is not eye-driven, it's just a report, it's just information. But more importantly, at this stage, I'm calling it cycle one, and I'm talking to trainers out there, and I'm talking to uh, plant managers, if you do, or healthcare managers, if you don't do your first display as eye-driven, you lose the opportunity for your team, your people who report to you to understand what happens when they have to be responsible for populating that board, you're going to have to push that into place unless you set it up so it's pulled into place because the person, they care. They have to care. This can't be your agenda. It has to be theirs. And if you get this right in the first iteration, people will get that The engine of the display is their own need to know. That flips right into need to share. You don't have to worry about that because it's a visual, visible, centrally located format. Only time that's not true is if it's private information, as in healthcare, where it has to be shielded, has to be in a closed room, or there has to be a curtain to pull across it, or whatever, for privacy. But you can use codes as well. That works just as well. 
You'll never be able to keep the board populated if the board doesn't have meaning for you. And you, please, must collect the data for the first board, you yourself. Okay? We've said that before. Don't delegate it to a a subordinate. Otherwise, you'll never get how this works and you'll never be able to replicate it. Visuality is a language. Language is already infused with meaning, infused with emotion, infused with commitment, with pull. Okay? So, I want to move into, I want to make sure to talk about this, about displays. You have your basic display. It can be as simple as the one that we saw from Tone, T-O-N-N-E, Tone. And all he wanted to know is, has the material arrived, yes or no? And I went up to him and I said, Tone, what are you doing? We, you just spent uh, four hours thinking about this display, putting it together, and you're showing me now now that you have it done, that it's just, has the material arrived, yes or no? He said, you know, I'm going to retire in a couple of years, Gwendolyn. I've been here a really long time. And honestly, this is what eats my lunch. If I know the material has arrived, I know what to do. If I know the material has not arrived, I know what to do. But I go crazy when I don't know if it has or if it hasn't. That's what's eating my lunch. This is the board I want. I said, okay. Great, carry on. And that was enough for him because he had control over the other parts of the process as a very experienced supervisor. And if he said, I want that, it was fine with me. I'm glad I questioned him so that I could strengthen my own understanding of the need to know as the driver in myself. So you get your basic display there, whatever it is. It can be complex. I need to know. I spoke to you about Frank, who was a colleague of Tone's. And I spoke to you about him that he had all of material handling and he had complex stores and he had stocking and he had material movement, 15 people, and they all gave him a hard time. And what he needed was a stable schedule where he would know where people were. And if they had a change to make, they would work that out and reported to him. So he made this display that would allow him to see and also on the, on the share end, allow them to make changes and he would see those changes as well. But there are other additions and I call them 10 additions plus five, 15 additions. And th- it's a simple list, but I, when you hear this list, think about how useful it would be. You add color, You add order. Order means chronology. The order matters. You add moving parts, little tickets that are hanging on hooks that you can move around. You let, number four, priority be visible. You find ways for the board to speak to you about status, not priority in this case, but status, All of the things that need to be done, can I see where they are right now? I want the display, says you, to also hold time and a whole variation. I want to see different levels. I want displays to be interactive. When something impacts it, I want it to respond. I want to be able to see, and I'm on number 10 now, Dimensions of meaning, 
I want to be see be able to see the different dimensions of the board. If you're doing a production schedule, and the one that we use to start off the training is in Japanese. So people don't know what things mean, and they have to contemplate this board and identify, discern the different dimensions of meaning. It takes them a little while, but they find time. They find the production schedule across the month. And by the way, the display begins on the left with the last four days of the month, and then you have day one so that you see the tail, which is where all the franticness is when a company is making the transition from traditional to the new manufacturing. And so it's the last four or five days of the month. So they're right there on the left. And then day one spins out beyond that, moving across the landscape to the right. So these dimensions of meaning, it had to do, it has to do with material flowing in, sort of like Tone was talking about. It has to do with your changeovers. When are they scheduled? When are the quality audits? All of these are different dimensions. I just named four of them. Things like that. You identify these dimensions of meaning. I actually have a good illustration in a moment that I'll mention after I finish this list. We want to see, now these are the plus five, frequency. We want to see causes. Add causes, why these things happened, why the line was stopped, why you overproduced, why you underproduced, why you were making defects, what was the bottleneck, causality, and problems. Causality leads to a kind of roll-up called a problem or a big problem. Fourteen is the decisions you make and the actions you undertake. I've seen this done in a very summary way, and I say sadly so. One of the best boards that I've seen on this has been was made out of magnets. It was with Volgren. They manufacture buses in, uh, I think it's outside of Melbourne, might be outside of Sydney, Australia. And they did their actions on magnets, and those actions had the little circle with the four quadrants, and you'd be able to see the status of the actions coming out of the decisions, coming out of the problems, coming out of the collection of causes in this, on this particular board. And those magnets were lined up there in a whole other dimension of the board, so you could keep track of the decision, the action, and the status of the action. And then the fifth cost. You can do cost at any time. You can do it as number one if you want to. So these dimensions of meaning meaning are really, really, these add-ons, I should say. Let me not confuse my language with you. These add-ons are very important for you to penetrate the database that is the board. There is information that that board is presenting to you that has other layers. Dig in, go deeper. Do do actual versus target. Do plus and and minus variances. Do the work orders. What's eating your lunch? Show how many times things go wrong and the reason. How many times the main processes deliver parts late. And why? How many times our department 
doesn't meet the schedule and why. How many times we have to do rework and what were those unforeseen problems? What are they? Let your board be populated like a clothesline in grandma's yard. Everything's on that clothesline with little pins. She's got the whole week of last week's um, commotion on that clothesline. The dirty work clothes that become the clean work clothes. The shirts and the underwear. The socks and the overalls and the fancy, fancy blouses. It's all there. She can see it at a glance. And she says, ah, it's good. I remember in the Trailmobile plant, there was a lot of discussion about the importance of a fixed and firm schedule. And the 17 people who were in the room created a fixed and firm schedule. And then the gentleman who was responsible for making parts, missing parts, making them, brackets and other welded parts, he said, that's your fixed and firm schedule. But you know what? It changes so many times because I get your emergency orders. And I think you ought to keep that, keep track of that as well. And the plant manager agreed. He said, okay, we're going to do exactly that. So this is your fixed and firm schedule. It went on for five days, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. This is, and they had it in separate columns. And what I want you to keep track of as an addition is I want you to tell me how many times it changes and why. Call it fixed and firm, but I want to see that metric about each time it changes and why, because that's where we need to do our work. That was a brilliant adaptation. You can hide behind fixed and firm, but leave a little space for if it changes, that it changed and why it changed. And that gave them seven or eight months of tremendously important work to do coming out of the display. Your display must have as a second, third, fourth, even first outcome triggering problem solving. It is it, Your problem solving needs to be married to that display. When you switch over from what's eating my lunch cycle one displays, and you move into visual scheduling, it still has the same vibrancy. It still pulls us into the interest in what's really going on, in digging out the truth, in the pleasure of getting rid of problems that have been chronic and complex and costly, maybe for decades. The display is there as not just information, but a window to correction, a window to active problem solving. This is what they're doing at Crown Equipment in Mexico. And a wonderful, wonderful array of displays at Flash Global Solutions up in Minnesota. Where these, especially I'm thinking about these two guys, man, they were magnificent. They were responsible for about 30 welding cells and fabrication and paint and assembly. And they, they tried to conceive of a board that would allow them to see those four operations under each order. And this particular plant focused on all of the equipment and supports needed for uh, Federal Express on the tarmac, how to process these packages that came off 
and there were conveyors and there were stairs and there were all of these welded components. And this was the plant that made it. They had a massive contract with DHL as well. FedEx, DHL, UPS, they were going after. And they simply separated them under each order. They would all be in yellow. Fabrication, welding, so it would be FWPA, all in yellow for a work order. And then when that work order had gone through paint, the color turned to green. You just used another little tile, another little tile. So you could see at a glance the status of each work order. And these guys updated every hour, every hour. They wanted line of sight. They wanted to be able to see things changed as they changed because they changed it. They loved this board. It lessened their burden. It lessened their load. It actually turned them into happy. We noticed it. (laughs) We noticed they were happy. So it's these moving parts, these dimensions of meaning that are so important. And the person who owns the board, or in this case, they co-owned it, they will know what it is that defeats them. It's not the information. It's, the, it's, it's not the information that's on the board. It's the information that's not on the board that they need to know. Let them put it on the board. It has to make sense to them. Then ownership never becomes a question, ever, ever. It was much the same way with Stuart. Stuart Bellamy at Brandt, the opposite of high-volume, low-complexity uh, production. This was very complex and very slow-moving. They made these huge engineering products. He had an obeyer room that was combined with problem displays on the shop floor that gave him complete line of sight and complete mastery over the changes of the schedule that were required, and all of it was manual. And he loved it because it was manual, because he could touch it, he could change it directly. He could touch it. There's this thing called touch knowledge. Where your fingers, I've spoken to you about this before, your fingers will be part of your knowing. Picking up this information as you move these pieces, as you go through small patterns of activity. And the wonderful display that fits at Notabom Trailers made in order to make him a really superb production chief. I'm writing this book now. It's going to be another year. I'm really covered right now with other projects. But when it comes, and even now, just listen to these shows. I did one earlier about four or five months ago on displays. You can find it on the roster. Come to our website. Even even with that, you can you can go further with your displays. You can make them alive. You can make them true partners to help your Supervisors, And once your supervisors can get control over this multivariate information, they're going to have room to grow into leaders of improvement. In fact, the displays will put them on the path of improvement because a good display is a display about solving the problems that the displays capture. They become leaders of improvement. They work directly with the team. Of course, they're going to own these problems. And every team member as well, if it's clearly captured, if it's accurate, if it's scary, 
It's growling at them. They're going to be very, very interested in hunting, hunting this down. Use displays to create leaders. Use displays as the glue to hold your production system, your operations together while you refine it. They are that powerful. Avoid the LCD monitor. You'll never get the commitment. You'll never get the happiness. You'll never get the problem solved through a monitor. It's self-canceling. You have to involve the human. Okay? These are not management devices. They are leadership devices. You're not just managing the data. You're changing the data. You're leading and improving. You're going through that cycle. Improve. Stabilize. Okay? All right. Thank you very much. I had a great time with you today. I get very excited about these things, as you can tell. These these visual devices really work. We're in our leadership series. And as our leadership series, what I'm interested in is how do we use these mechanisms to grow leaders so that folks can take their rightful part in the transformation of your company. Stabilize. Measure, target, problem solve. These are all components. Yeah. Find us at radio at visualworkplace.com if you want to drop us an email. Visit our website, visualworkplace.com. I want to wish you a very happy journey wherever you're going. I hope that you make visuality a part of it. This is Gwendolyn Galsworth. Let the workplace speak. Thank you for joining us this week at Visual Workplace Radio. Tune in for another episode next Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, with your host, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, on the Voice America Business Channel. Let the workplace speak.